And I'm Dale Denwald. You're listening to The Source. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the Oklahomans' most impactful stories with the reporters who wrote them. An Oklahoma County Sheriff's deputy was killed and another was wounded on August 22nd when a 35-year-old Oklahoma City man shot at them when they tried to serve an eviction notice. Police had already gotten a complaint that this man had become volatile and owned several guns. But Oklahoma's lack of red flag laws left police with few options to respond until he opened fire. Reporters Ben Felder and Josh Delaney joined us this week with their coverage of a recent shooting of Oklahoma County deputies and the state laws that helped shape the case. Benjamin Plank is accused of fatally shooting Deputy Bobby Swartz and injuring another deputy who were trying to serve an eviction notice at his home. Shot the first deputy. The second deputy tried to get that that deputy out of the way, out of the way of gunfire and then he was struck as well. Police already received a report from Benjamin Plank's mother who tried to warn them of his behavior. So Ben, what did Benjamin Plank's mother say? And was there anything that could really have been done? Yeah, really good question. Um, Benjamin's mother had filed a victim protective order with the courts and and my colleague Josh, who we'll talk to here in a minute, was the first to report on, on that VPO. And, you know, one of the things that was striking to me is that she was bringing up some of the red flags, as we're talking about a red flag laws that are often used in these cases of extreme protective orders are also known as red flag laws, which are when an individual is exhibiting some kind of threatening behavior or maybe some mental health crisis, and they also have access to firearms uh, in at least 19 states, a, a person which is often a relative or sometimes a, a member of law enforcement can petition to the courts that those guns be removed from that person's possession or from their household. It still would require a judge's order to do that. Those laws don't exist in Oklahoma, so the victim protective order was not a request for the firearms to be removed by Benjamin's mother. Uh, But it had the elements of what you normally see in these kind of cases. Benjamin was uh, talking about suicide, um, was threatening his mother verbally, um, was making her feel unsafe. He had at least eight guns in the house that his mom said that he would regularly take out and walk around. So the kind of behavior that you thought, hey, this could lead to some kind of incident, harming himself or someone else that in another state, um, a red flag law might have been an, a, an avenue that the mother or police could have taken. Now let's talk about the, the day of the uh, of the shooting. Josh, how many weapons did Plank use that day and how many more did police find in his home? So I'm unclear on uh, how many he, he used um, in what turned out to be uh, a firefight, but um, they recovered a Glock 17, a uh, AR-15 style rifle, a Ruger uh, bolt action rifle, one Winchester uh, 22 rifle, another shotgun, and um, there were also the casings that were found there. There were 38 spent rifle casings and six nine millimeter spent uh, pistol casings. Now I'm, I'm not sure if that was the the deputy's weapons or not on on the nine millimeter, but he had a, a lot of weapons in the house, uh, as as Ben said, and there was this one other odd detail. Too. They found the police found uh, four uh, beverage cans filled with gasoline. I don't know what he was doing with that. Um, I don't have any more details on that. But yeah, there there were a lot of weapons there. He was planning on killing any law enforcement that came to his house. One hundred percent. It wouldn't have mattered what uniform you wore that day. If you were law enforcement, 
that's that's was that was his plan. Once the deputies were were shot and and Benjamin Plank fled the scene, he ended up in a police pursuit across Oklahoma City. Can you tell us uh, what happened with that and what that looked like? Yes, he uh, police said that he loaded up his uh, truck with several weapons. Um, they mentioned an AR-15 uh, was one of them that they recovered, and so they were going. All, all over the freeways in the in the uh, Oklahoma City area, and they finally ended up. He stopped at a gate at Tinker Air Force Base, and at that point, police said they had to use some. Uh, they had to use a stun gun to subdue him, and uh, they took him into custody. And uh, he's he's being held without bond at the uh, county jail now. Ben, you cover the Capitol and, and politics here in Oklahoma. You mentioned that 19 other states have laws that can be described as a red flag law. I already have these on the books. Uh, what's the history here in Oklahoma? Have have legislators tried to uh, adopt something like this, or do we have anything close to uh, a red flag law on the books? Well, we would not only do we not have a red flag law, but we have an anti-red flag law, which really at its crux is not really a law. It's it's more of a statement from the legislature that in 2020, a uh, majority of lawmakers along um, partisan lines uh, enacted an anti-red flag law that basically said that local municipalities and counties are not able to implement this system. The system didn't exist. The system for it to exist would have required the state legislature to enact a red flag law. So it was more of a statement. It didn't change the current situation on the ground. Um, but yeah, we have seen other states, including some Republican states that have embraced these laws. And, and you know, obviously gun control is a very partisan issue, but red flag laws have been kind of the one, I don't want to say consistent, but what, but one of the few areas where there has been some bipartisan support. Um, you know, polls consistently show that most Americans, even most gun owners, uh, support some type of red flag law. Um, we saw former President Trump kind of briefly support this uh, until the politics kind of got in the way. Um, but this year, following the mass shootings in Evaldi, Texas and Buffalo, and even after what we saw in Tulsa, you know, Congress came together and said, okay, we've got to pass something. We've seen these conversations happen before but they finally got some kind of gun reform package across the finish line. Most gun advocates said it wasn't enough, but it was the first major gun uh, reform law that we'd seen in, in decades. And one of the components was this red flag law um, enticement mechanism that the government was not going to force states to enact red flag laws, was going to try to entice them by offering them grants and additional funding if they were to implement these laws or if they already had them on the books, if they would do more to try to educate the public about it because they're only useful if people know about them, obviously. There's been no indication from Oklahoma legislative leaders, at least from Republicans, that they have any interest in this. All members of Oklahoma's congressional delegation voted against the gun reform package. Congresswoman Stephanie Bice, a Republican from Oklahoma City, when she voted against it, she talked about the red flag law and said that one, she doesn't feel like there's enough due process, even though a judge is the one that would review the case and make the decision. But she also referenced Oklahoma's anti-red flag law by saying basically the government's going to give federal funding that comes from Oklahomans, comes from all taxpayers, but we can't take part in it. So it's not fair to Oklahoma. But to go back to your original question, why do we pass the red flag law? Well, we've seen, you know, really from 2010 to 2020, we saw just a, a sweeping reform of pro-gun laws that have really expanded access in a variety of ways. And I think in 2020, that was just kind of the next step for uh, pro-gun lawmakers and pro-gun groups that have become more powerful in recent years. Um, it was just the next step in their evolution to try to make Oklahoma a state that has some of the most uh, access to firearms uh, in the country. And you listened to what some lawmakers had to say about 
this anti-red flag law. What were some of the reasons that Republicans were for it? And, and what, do you, what do Democrats have to say about it? Well, I think the Republicans that are for it that we've seen at the national level, and it wasn't a majority. It was, if I remember right, it was 15 in the House, 15 in the Senate. But, you know, enough of a Republican vote to call it a bipartisan measure. Definitely. And I think the reason why there's support for it is because when you look at a situation like we saw here in, in Oklahoma County, it's an example of someone who is troubled and going through a mental health crisis and is making threatening behavior and has access to the firearms. And I think most people look at that and say, those two things aren't going to mix, even if you are a believer in, um, you know, a pro-Second Amendment you know, rights believer. Here in Oklahoma and, and other places, those who are against it say that there's not enough due process, that a judge can just decide to take away your guns without you having a chance to make your case. Now, it's important to note that red flag laws look different in different states and how they enact it. I suppose it's possible that if Oklahoma wanted to enact it, they could put in a system in place where a judge has to hear from the person that's petitioning. Of course, that would take a, away a little bit of the element of surprise and that is kind of necessary in this thing. But after a red flag law is enacted, after the guns are removed, that person does have a chance to come back in front of the courts to kind of you know, plead their case. So there is a little bit of a due process, even though it looks a little bit differently. But that's the main thing, that you're essentially removing guns from someone's homes. There's been some accusations that, you know, someone who's just upset with someone could, could make this complaint. Uh, in most states, it requires it to be a close relative that makes this um, or a member of law enforcement. So it's not something that you could just, you know, use to get back at your neighbor on. But yeah, it's really a matter of due process. And I think for many Republicans in Oklahoma, it's a red flag law looks like it's going in the opposite direction of where they've been going, which is a, you know, more access to firearms. And I'll just end by saying this, you know, I talked to some lawmakers, talked to one on the off the record um, about this, and they even said that they thought this might be a sensible approach. And I asked, would they vote for it? And they said, oh, absolutely not. And they couldn't. They felt like they couldn't because of the political op optics of it. Josh, uh, a common responsibility for law enforcement is serving legal papers. The Oklahoma County Sheriff's Office attempted over 14,000 of these deliveries in a year. This is a task that involves bringing bad news to people at a low point in their lives. Maybe they're getting served papers saying they're going to be divorced. Maybe they're being served papers saying they have a court date or, or being sued. So Josh, you worked on a story about this concept recently. So are police in a vulnerable position when they serve court papers? Uh, yes. It's, um, as you mentioned, there's so many of these a year, so it, it seems routine. But as in this case, you don't, you don't know who's behind the door. Uh, you don't know you know how angry they are. Uh, you don't know all the circumstances of their lives. You don't know how how heavily they're they are armed. And there have been some shootings uh, across the country in, in recent years. Uh, I looked at a handful of them over the past uh, five years, all over the country, where deputies have been uh, shot to death by uh, people that are in disputes with their uh, landlords. We had a uh, a deputy. Uh, here in Oklahoma who told me last week that because of this he went out with his uh, deputies on a, um, a lockout order and uh, he said he uh, carried his rifle with him and gave his deputies cover because he was concerned about it. Um, and then I spoke with a, a process server. Um, these are folks that are third-party people who, who kind of do the same thing but they don't necessarily have the uh, you know the, the weight and protection of a badge on them and she said uh, she's been threatened recently. She's had um, dogs um, let loose on her, and uh, and she's carried a, a weapon. And she does as much background checking on uh, people as as she can. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's really dangerous. And I think you don't know what people's mental states are um, when this is happening. But she said, by and large, people don't understand that that she's not the one that's writing up these orders. She's delivering them on behalf of a land uh, a landlord. 
and uh, and it's really uh, the, you know these these papers are signed off by the courts as well. So it's it's coming from the judge. And this person is is uh, just the 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 messenger, as they say. Well, both of you, thank you so much for joining us this week, talking about this rather somber topic. This podcast is possible because of the Oklahoman subscribers. We encourage you to subscribe if you can. You can read these stories and more every day in the Oklahoman and at oklahoman.com. Check back next Friday for a new episode.